Be Christ's Church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke Podcast. Today our student pastor, Ethan Smith, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. If you have your Bibles, then go ahead and grab them. We're going to be in the book of Matthew in our time together. We're just going to start in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 11. Uh, this morning, it's going to look a little bit different than what we usually do, even than, than I normally do when I have the opportunity to preach. Instead of kind of camping out in one particular text, spending all of our time breaking down that text, we're we're actually going to be spending our time looking at a particular theme. Okay, and we're going to kind of bounce through a few different passages of Scripture. So we're going to start in Matthew chapter 11. But the central theme that I want to consider this morning is this. So if you're, you're taking notes, you can jot this down. It's the heart of Christ for sinners and sufferers. Okay, the heart of Christ... For sinners and sufferers, we want to ask this question. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? What is he really like? Now, if you're a follower of Christ, then you can probably give some correct answers to that question, right? He is the Son of God. He's truly God. He's truly man. He is sinless. He is holy. We can list out a bunch of other attributes, but, but at his core... Who is Christ? If we were to, in a sense, draw back the veil of his heart, what would we see? And specifically, what I want to spend our time thinking about is, how does that heart relate to us as sinners and sufferers? Now, the question you you might be asking, it's a good question, is why, right? Why in the world would we... Paul's uh, a wonderful sermon series in the book of Acts to consider this, this question. There's a few reasons for why we are, we're doing this. The first is because I want, we want as a church, every single follower of Christ to fall more deeply in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's cards on the table. That's what we want for every single one of you. We want you to fall more deeply deeply in love with Christ because transformation will take place, obedience will take place when you love Christ. And I believe looking at the heart of Christ that he has for us when we suffer and when we sin will allow us to fall ever more deeply in love with Christ. Secondly, because we want the unbelievers sitting in this room, and again, I'm not confused about the fact that in a room this size, there are many of you who are not followers of Christ. We want you to see and to understand and to feel the overwhelming attractiveness of Christ. So why would we gather together? Why would we joyfully and gladly follow after Christ? And I believe you'll see all of that clearly when we consider the heart of Christ for sinners and sufferers. And thirdly, it's because of a book. <laughs> now, if you, if you know me at all, you know that I love books. I love 
buying books. I get super excited when Amazon's, when it says like your book's out for delivery, I get super excited, right? My goal uh, is to have a library at some point. I know Sarah's probably rolling her eyes at that statement, but it's true. I, I love books. I love reading good books, and I love recommending good books. And, and last year, I read a book that I really do believe is probably one of the most important and most helpful books for the modern Christian. It's this one up here. It's entitled Gentle and Lowly by a gentleman by the name of Dane Ortland. So I, I purchased this book last year, and I've actually already read it twice uh, since that time. And in this book, Dane Ortland answers clearly and, and really helpfully this question that we're asking today. What is the heart of Christ to sinners and sufferers? How does Christ in heaven relate to us while we're in the midst of sin and while we are suffering? Because those are two categories in which we all are going to fit. If you're not suffering now, the reality is you're either just coming out of suffering or you're getting ready to head into a time of suffering. But whether that you say, that, that's not me, the reality is we are all sinners. So how does Christ relate to us who are followers of Christ as we continue in sin? So Crossway, who's the publisher of this book, because they believe in this book, because they believe in uh, the mission of the book, the message that it conveys, graciously offered churches free copies of the book, which we graciously accepted, absolutely. So they sent us 200 copies of this book, which means uh, after the service, every family has the opportunity to actually pick up Gentle and Lowly for free. So you can pick one out on your way out. But this sermon acts as a as a type of distillment of the overall theme of the book. And really, I, I hope it does inspire you to read the book. But regardless of whether you take a copy, whether you read it or not, what I believe in my guts is that we as a church, you as an individual, need to understand, and not just, not just understand intellectually, but you need to feel in your affections the heart of Christ that beats for you. If we're going to be faithful, then we need more than head knowledge. We need to, to feel Christ's heart for us. So hopefully by now you're in Matthew chapter 11. We're going to start our time in, in verses 28 through 30. It's Matthew 11, 28 through 30. I'm going to read this text and then we'll pray together. It says this, this is Jesus speaking. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you that we can even come to you. That you've spoken, you've spoken through the prophets, you've given us your word, but you've spoken in your son. And your son gave his life to bring us back to you, that we might worship. 
that he gives us this, this promise to come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, because you'll give us rest. Why? Because you're gentle and lowly in heart. So God, help us during this time to see your heart. And not just to, to see it, not just to understand, but to begin to feel in our core your love for us. That it's not distant, that it's not abstract, that it's not just on paper, but it's a heart that genuinely loves and cares. So help us, Spirit, move in this place, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So Charles Spurgeon points out in a sermon entitled, The Heart of Jesus, that there, that there is only one place in the entire New Testament in which Jesus describes his own heart. So if you take the four Gospels, there, there are 89 chapters of Jesus' life, and there is one instance in which Jesus says, this is my heart, and it's here in this passage. It's in Matthew chapter 11. But before we begin, we need to understand what is meant by the word heart. Right? If we don't understand what heart means, then we're going to have a difficult time throughout the rest of the sermon. So throughout the Bible, the heart means more than just the emotional life of a person. So it's more than just someone's emotions. Ortland in this book succinctly and I think helpfully uh, defines the heart as the central animating center of all that we do. The central animating center of all that we do. So it's what drives everything that we do. So what is it that characterizes us, that gets us out of bed in the morning? Whatever that is, that is your heart. So what is the heart of Jesus? At the core of Jesus, what characterizes him? What animates him most deeply? And when Jesus gives the answer, he says that he is gentle and lowly. Is that surprising? Is that surprising to hear that when, that when Jesus gets to set the terms, he says, I'm gentle and I'm lowly. Now the word gentle that's used in this text is, is used three other times in the New Testament. It's used in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, in the Beatitudes at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. It's used in Matthew chapter 21, verse 5, when actually quoting Zechariah 9, 9, in which Jesus, if you remember that context, is, is in the triumphal entry. Right? So he's coming into Jerusalem, and it's described, Zechariah describes it as our king, humble, and mounted on a donkey. Same word. Peter uses it in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 4, in an encouragement to, to wives, saying that they are to adorn themselves with a gentle and quiet spirit. So, so how is Jesus described? How does Jesus describe his own heart towards us? He says that he is meek. He says that he is humble, and he says that he is gentle. It means he's not quick-tempered. 
That means he's not, as Orland says, he's not trigger happy. Do do you understand that? That he's not at the edge of his seat waiting for you to screw up so that he can punish you. That he's gentle towards us. He's not trigger happy. That the, the natural posture of Christ is not a pointed finger in condemnation, but rather open arms to receive. But what about lowly? Now, lowly in in this context is is more than just humility and attitude. So he is humble, right? But in this context, this this word goes a little bit deeper. It's, It's lowly as in humble in destitution. So, for instance, Luke chapter 1, when Mary's singing her song while she's pregnant with Jesus, actually praises God. Why? Because he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Same word. This humble estate. So what do we learn about Christ from the word lowly? It's not that he's poor, right? Of course, Throughout the Gospels, he is poor. The foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. But Jesus is God. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, so he's certainly not poor economically. So what does he mean when he says that he is humble? It's that he is accessible. He's accessible. He's not someone that you have to clean yourself up before you get to come to Christ. He's not fix yourself and then you can show up. He is accessible. He's not like the Queen of England, right? If I were to have the opportunity to meet the Queen of England, right, granted she's what, 115 now? I have no idea. But if you're going to meet the Queen of England, like you better look the part. Like I, you got to be dressed to the nines, clean cut, everything's looking nice. You don't want to show up to the Queen. Well, kind of rolling out of the gym, for instance. You roll out of the gym, like sweatpants, t-shirt, you're sweaty, you're hot mess. Like, you're not going to go in that attire to meet the Queen of England, right? You're not going to be allowed in. <laughs> you have to clean yourself up before you can see her. But Christ, on the other hand, in our filth, in our dirtiness, in our muck, he's not offended by us, but rather, what? He stoops down to pull us He's accessible to us. Have you ever noticed that throughout the Gospels, those who were most attracted to Jesus, those who regularly sought to, to be with him, were sinners and sufferers. It's the blind, it's the lame, it's the lepers who go out of their way to spend time with Jesus. It's the the tax collectors that no one likes that want to have them over for dinner. It's women who have less than great reputation in the community want even wetting Jesus' feet with her tears and wiping them with her hair. These are the individuals that seek out Jesus. And none of these are rejected by Jesus. None of these are cast out from the presence of Jesus. In fact, it is their sin, it is their suffering 
that draws out his heart to them. In their mess, Jesus says, no, come to me. Why? Because he's gentle and he's lowly in heart. Because he really does love them. He really does care. Now, our issue is that we don't believe that's still the case. We see stories like this in Scripture, and we say, well, of course Jesus would welcome them, right? They don't know any better. Why wouldn't he welcome them to him? Me, on the other hand, I've been a Christian for 10, 15, 20, 30 years, and I keep going back to the same sin over and over and over and over again. I know better why would Jesus be gentle and lowly toward me? But brother and sister, has the heart of Christ changed toward you? Would the, would the same heart that beats for gentleness and lowliness in one minute, in your sin, in your struggle, suddenly turn cold and distant? Let me ask it this way. Does he cease to be who he is most deeply because you struggle? Let me ask that again. Does Jesus cease to be who he most deeply is simply because you struggle? But here's the chief problem. We compare Christ to ourselves. Say you have a friend. It's a good friend. You love this friend dearly. You enjoy spending time with this person. You love uh, spending time with him. He, he's funny. You can talk about life. You can talk about family. You can talk about politics. You can talk about Jesus. You can talk about sports. Like this is just a good friend, right? Everybody loves to have a good friend. So say me and this friend of mine plan to go to dinner. All right, and in fact, it's, it's going to be a good dinner, right? We've got to make reservations in advance, not rolling up to Chick-fil-A. Although, praise God, love Chick-fil-A. <laughs> so we have these reservations at, at 6 o'clock. Right? I don't want to be out too late. I've got a one-year-old at home. Got to get to bedtime, right? So 6 o'clock is what time me and my friend are, are going to meet for dinner. So I, I arrive 5, 10 minutes early, whatever your conscience allows you to, to be early for something. So I'm there, I'm ready, at 6.30 he rolls in. All right, I'm probably a little frustrated, a little annoyed. All right, he, he apologizes, hey, look, I, I got out of late from work, I'm sorry. So, okay, that's fine. We have our dinner, it's a great time, enjoy being together. So let, let's do this again. All right, so we go to a different restaurant, right, we got to mix it up. Maybe first time it was Italian, now I want a steak. So you make reservations, 6 o'clock. 6.45, my friend rolls in. Okay, I'm frustrated. Hey, sorry, I had, I had car trouble. Okay, that's fine. So you make plans again, 6 o'clock. He rolls in at 7. Now at a certain point, <laughs> as much as I love my friend, I'm probably going to quit having dinner with him, right? 
Because this is a recurring problem, something that continues to happen. And in fact, probably what I'm going to say is, hey, don't talk to me for a little while. Let me cool off. We talk tomorrow. Frustrated, right? But our problem is this is how we think of Christ. We think that when we sin, maybe for the first time, maybe for the thousandth time, that he's mad at us. So we feel that distance between us. Jesus is saying, no, just don't talk to me, don't interact, let me cool off. Why? Because that's what we do. As if our sinfulness, our impatience, our frustration necessarily reflects back on Christ. That's a mistake. He is gentle and he's lowly in heart. So in your sin, in your struggle, whatever that might be, brothers and sisters, he's not indifferent. He's not cold. He's not distant. He's not unfeeling toward you. He is there waiting to welcome you back with open arms. Do you actually believe that? And I know what you might be thinking. Isn't that a stretch for for one text? How can I know that Jesus loves me in the midst of my struggle? That's that's a lot for Matthew chapter 11. That's fine. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. If you don't want to turn there, just jot it down. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says this. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I want you to look at verse 15 because verse 15 is the foundation. So it's the ground for what is said in verses 14 and and follows in 16. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But rather, the type of high priest that we do have is one who has been tempted in every respect as we are tempted, and yet without sin. Do you see the emphasis on the text? We don't have a high priest that's like this. We don't have a high priest that can't relate to us, that cannot sympathize with us, that is distant, that doesn't understand. But rather, we have a high priest who can sympathize with us, who has been tempted in every way that we are, and yet is without sin. To sympathize here is an interesting word. And Ortland notes it in the book. It's actually a compound word. So it's got a prefix and it's got a root. So the prefix is the word with, W-I-T-H, with. The verb is to suffer. So his sympathy then is not a a cool distant of, oh, I, I feel sorry for you, brother. That's unfortunate. But rather, 
It is a suffering alongside us. So in your distress, in your suffering, in your sin, Jesus is distressed with you. He's there alongside of you. His heart yearns for you in that moment. He's not unfeeling toward our pain. He's present with us in our struggle. And you say, now I understand that, right? I understand that when it comes to suffering. When, I, when my mother was diagnosed with, with cancer or when I lost my job or when situation whatever happened, like Christ was there with me in the pain. But how can you say that about my sin? Wouldn't my sin be the one thing that Jesus says, no, I don't want to touch that? But I want you to, to look at the text. Why is he able to sympathize with us? It's because he has been tempted in every way as we are, and yet without sin. He is no stranger to temptation. He's not ignorant of the pull toward temptation. And if anything, he knows it in a greater way than you or I do. Why? Because when we're tempted to a certain point, we'll usually endure, but then we fall, right? We give in to the temptation. Christ didn't do that. He felt the full weight of the temptation because he did not give in. So why can he relate to you? Because he's faced the temptation. So when we are in the midst of sin, it's in that moment, it's in that moment that his heart in heaven calls out to you all the more. Think about this. If Christ loves us so dearly, he wants the absolute best for us, and he knows that the best for us is a right relationship with God, spending an eternity in communion with God. And if he's already paid the penalty for our sin, if he has in his body borne the entire weight of the wrath of God, then why would he cease to love us or to yearn for us when we're at our weakest, when we're at our most vulnerable. It is his sinlessness and his heart for us that allows verses 14 and 16 to make sense, to be true. Why are we able to hold fast this confession that Christ died, that Christ rose again, and those who believe in him will be saved. Why can we hold fast to that confession? Because he's our high priest that can sympathize with us, that suffers alongside of us, and is without sin. Why can we have confidence, verse 16, that we can draw near to the throne of grace, that we're not going to be cast out in our sin? Because Christ's love for us has not The word weakness here, it, it has to convey the notion of sin. Why do you say that? Because if it doesn't, then why do we need to draw near for mercy and grace? Brothers and sisters, if Jesus genuinely loves us, then he's not going to stop loving us when we are at our most vulnerable. Think of a, a father who has a sick child in the hospital, a serious 
illness. In that moment, when the child is at the absolute weakest, what does the father feel? In that moment, it's pity. It's love. It's a yearning for the child. If the father is angry at anything in that moment, it's not the child, it's the disease. He hates the disease because of the suffering that it leads in his dearly loved child. And so it is with God. Yes, he hates our sin. Yes, he will discipline us for our sin. But that discipline is not out of vengeance. It's not out of cool indifference. It's out of a heart that yearns for our good. It's out of a heart that is overflowing with love such that he is able to sympathize. Looking at you in your sin. He looks forward to the day when you'll no longer struggle with that sin. He's not cold towards you. He's he's saying, come to me. He embraces you in that moment and says, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. There's a day coming. Endure now. There's a day coming. All of this is going to go away. I promise you, you're not going to struggle with this forever. That the gentle and the lowliness that, that characterize the heart of Christ on earth continues now for us, even though He is in heaven. We don't See him now, but his heart still beats in gentle and lowliness for us. So what does that matter? It means when we sin, we don't have to run away from Jesus. We get to run toward him. We get to repent and fly to Christ, knowing he's not going to scold us. He's not waiting for, and I told you so in that moment. He's not going to cast us out. He's going to make all things new. Brothers and sisters, that's why we can live in holiness. That's why we can be faithful. That's why we can be obedient. Because Jesus isn't harsh when we screw up. He's gentle and lowly. Zacchaeus, he didn't resolve his ways. He didn't give away his money. He didn't restore what he stole until after he ran to Christ. The prodigal isn't welcomed back home because he was able to collect all his money and repay his father. He was welcomed. Why? Because he came home. And some of you are, are distant from God right now because you think you've made too many mistakes. In fact, some of you might be sitting in church right now trying to check off that box, right? Well, if I'm, I'm in church this week and maybe next week, maybe by next week, God will be okay with me. That's a mistake. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Do you remember what Jesus says right before he says he's gentle and lowly? He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Not, and then you better fix yourself. No, he says, I will give you rest. 
that he's ready to welcome you. Now let me show you one more text. Matthew chapter, excuse me, Matthew. Hebrews chapter 7, so just turn a couple pages where you are. Hebrews 7, 23 through 25. It says this. Hebrews 7, 23 through 25. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, that's Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. The author begins by speaking of the inadequacy of the Old Testament priests. There are a lot of priests working in the temple. And it's also, a side note as a lesson, that as sinners, we always need someone to stand in between us and God. You need a mediator. You need someone to stand between you and God. In the Old Testament, the, the priests acted in that way, but there were so many of them because they died, right? They couldn't continue forever. They died. And so new ones had to take their place. But the contrast is Christ is able to continue his role as our mediator, as our great high priest. Why? Because death has no hold on him. He's able to continue in that role permanently. Which means he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. If you mark in your Bible, underline verse 25. I know it's long. Underline the whole thing. Highlight it, circle it, whatever. There are a few major ideas in this passage we cannot overlook. First is that wonderful word, uttermost. That he, Jesus, is able to save completely. Start to finish, he is able to save. And we we often have a hard time believing this because if we were to, to put down our phone, if we were to turn off the television, if we were to actually stop for a few seconds and, and look at our own hearts, we, we see we are sinners to the uttermost. That there's no area of my life that sin has not touched. Every aspect of my life is infected with sin. But the good news is that Jesus saves to the uttermost. So every area of sin in your life, in my life, Jesus will save completely. He will transform completely. He'll make us more as we were meant to be. And that looks like Christ. So yes, you come to faith in Christ, your life will be transformed. That sin that we have hidden in different areas, Jesus says, no, I saved to the uttermost. But what happens when we sin? That's great, but what happens when we still struggle with sin? That Christ is able to save to the uttermost, which means he's not going to leave anything out. Look at the end of verse 25. You'll see how. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. Now, the intercession of Christ is a, is a wonderful truth that, quite frankly, doesn't get enough attention. 
that Christ at this very moment is seated at the right hand of the Father pleading your case for you. That at your weakest, at the moment you sin, Christ applies His own blood before the Father to you. Justification is a doctrine we, we Protestants love. It's the doctrine of our right standing with God on the basis of Christ's finished work. Intercession is applying that work on a moment-by-moment basis. The question is, what then do we have to fear? What's keeping you from repenting? What's keeping you from running to Christ? If when you run to Christ in repentance, He's not going to cast you out, but He's already interceded for you. He's already applied His own blood to your account. Brothers and sisters, we should be repenting to Christ. You're not going to be rejected. You're not going to enjoy the fellowship with Christ you were made to have until you understand this reality. And for the unbeliever in this room, what I want you to see in Hebrews 7 is that he intercedes on behalf of those who draw near to God through him. That Jesus invites you to come near for the forgiveness of sins and for rest for your souls. That you, unbeliever, you know I'm not a Christian. You have the opportunity to come to Christ. That He will intercede for you when you draw near to God through Him. That the appeal in Christianity, what we are calling week after week for you to do is not to come to some abstract set of doctrine. We're not even calling you to a particular morality. We're calling you to a person. We're calling you to come to Jesus who is gentle and lowly of heart. Believing He'll teach you. He'll transform your life. But you're not going to be transformed until you meet Christ. So we want you, if you're in this room, we want you to know Christ. Let Christ wash you in His blood. Let Him save to the uttermost those who draw near to Him. For the Christian sitting here wondering, hey, what, what's the point of all this? It's this. Jesus loves you. That Jesus deeply loves you. And you're not going to grow in your relationship with Christ until you believe that. That you're not trying to earn your place. If I work enough, if I come enough, if I serve enough, maybe he'll give me a second glance. No, he loves you deeply. And we can be assured when we sin, when we struggle, we can cling to Christ knowing we're not going to be cast out. Because the reality is, what, what troubles Jesus far more than your sin is your unbelief. 
that you're failing to take his word seriously. Look throughout the, the New Testament. After Jesus is raised over and over again, what troubles Jesus in his disciples is their unbelief. He doesn't bring up past sins. He points out that they are not believing and trusting in that moment. So my question is, do you believe his heart? Do you believe that in your weakest, when you struggle, when you sin for the thousandth time, but not only has Christ's death made a way to forgive that sin, but that he's ready to. That he loves you. And my prayer is that believing this truth, not again, not just intellectually, but experientially in your heart. I believe you, you really in your guts believe that Jesus loves you. He'll transform you. We'll be a church that is faithful to Christ because we believe he is gentle and lowly in heart. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this truth. God, what a spectacular truth it is that you genuinely care. And Lord, I know that there are individuals in this room that might on paper say that they believe that, but they feel cold and they feel distanced towards you. And it's not on your end. I pray that you would grant freedom to repent, freedom to come to Christ, knowing that because Christ died and rose again, we know we'll be met with love and forgiveness. And that's, that's not an excuse to sin. But rather, it's, a, it's an understanding that when we do, we have a faithful high priest who's going to intercede for us, one that's going to suffer alongside of us to transform us because you love us and because you're good. Father, we praise you and thank you. It's in your son's beautiful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.